and we're seeking to serve our community, and we're doing everything with the anointing and with the spirit of excellence. That's our desire. We're moving forward as God has directed us. And, uh, church, we have been very prayerful as pastor and wife and also leadership team of Life Church about God's plan for this church. And we have a strong sense of vision and destiny in the kingdom of God. God wants to do great things through Life Church. How many believe that? Hallelujah. He wants this church to expand in influence. And we understand the importance of timing. And there's one issue of timing that is glaring me in the face as pastor right now, and that is that our building is at full capacity on our worship service in English, and uh, we need to expand because we're overwhelmed in every aspect of the church, from the Sunday school to the restrooms to the foyer to the auditorium itself. We are absolutely overwhelmed, and the laws of, uh, that uh, govern church growth would tell us that if we don't expand, then the church cannot grow beyond this point. Now, our plan to build, our plan to build has three basic assumptions. Number one, God intends for His church to grow. How many believe that? Secondly, in order for us to build the building next to us, it's going to require a financial miracle. How many believe this? And I believe that God intends to use his church for a conduit for a miracle. How many believe that? I'd love for a miracle to flow through me. Amen. A miracle to flow through us. So a capital stewardship campaign is what we're going to be going into. And let me explain what a capital stewardship campaign is. Something that can help us grow and expand and make ourselves ready for a miracle. I want to be prepared and ready for a miracle. So what is a stewardship campaign? It is, uh, it, it is something that teaches biblical principles for giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure. Uh, a stewardship campaign places a major emphasis upon prayer and seeking the will of God over the next three months. A stewardship campaign communicates the vision and plan to the entire church. And a stewardship campaign raises the level of faith that the congregation has. A stewardship campaign unifies the talents, time, and finances of the body of Christ for the purpose of reaching souls. Now, a stewardship campaign is not a slick advertising campaign, although we will present the plan and vision in a professional manner. But the vision is just one small part of the puzzle. A stewardship campaign is not a high-pressure situation. You will make your decision about giving and sacrifice only after having a good season of prayer and seeking God. A stewardship campaign does not capitalize on the hype of the moment uh, to catch people at an emotional moment. This is not a microwave oven approach. This is a deliberate journey, three months of contemplation and finding the mind of God for our lives and for our church. And uh, the stewardship campaign is not about just bringing a stranger into the church to take charge. But Brother Soto is a great friend of mine. He's preached revivals here. He will be serving in an advisory position. He will organize us, and there's a number of you in the church that will be working on various teams with Brother Soto. And he will keep us informed as we take this journey. The benefits of a capital stewardship campaign are that a capital stewardship campaign has a proven track record. Brother Soto told me what we can expect at Life Church to be able to raise through a capital stewardship campaign, which we could in no wise raise in another fashion. Secondly, it keeps people informed and encouraged. And thirdly, capital stewardship campaigns are far more successful than traditional methods. You may ask the question, why do we need a, a partner or a consultant in Brother Soto? 
Uh, Brother Brown, you're sharp. We believe you can handle it. There are several reasons why I'm asking you uh, to uh, consider what we are doing with Brother Soto. And uh, he's going to come alongside of us for this upcoming stewardship campaign. Brother, Sto- Brother Soto is bringing to us a proven stewardship campaign model that has worked not only for his local church, but for several churches around the United States. And uh, I came to Brother Soto and asked him to come. He did not approach me. And Brother Soto is an apostolic pastor in the state of Wisconsin, also the youth president of the state of Wisconsin. And he has been using this model over and over and has seen success each time. And he's offering more than other facilitators that I have talked to, greater number of visits, greater communication, more practical help, plus there is the personal touch of knowing him. And uh, I have confidence in him uh, and uh, I believe that uh, he's versed in this model. He, he knows what we're going to be facing, the difficult transitions. He's excelled with Capital Stewardship Campaign in his local church. So we're going to have Brother Soto with us next week. He's going to tell us a little bit about it. And then over the next three months, we're going to be going through a time of prayer and preparation. And God's going to do great things through Life Church. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's lift our hands and ask God to give us strength. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Secondly, I have something that the ushers are going to pass out. I'm going to take a break from the fundamentals back to the basics. Now, whenever a basketball team loses uh, a competition or a contest or a football team, usually you can find that they have faults in the area of fundamentals and basics. It's... it's, uh, uh, inbounding the ball incorrectly. It's problems with their passing, maybe shooting, um, their, 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 their uh, uh, shooting approach is off. And in uh, football games, uh, oftentimes if the receivers don't run tight, well-scripted routes, if their routes are sloppy, if they haven't worked on the fundamentals, then there is going to be a weakness if the other team is fundamentally sound. So above talent and ability and someone's uh, 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 great giftedness, is the need for fundamentals. And we're talking this week about fundamentals for Christian living, fundamentals for being victorious and living for God. And the fundamental that we're focusing on in the month of January is the fundamental practice of prayer and prayer and fasting. Now, Wednesday night in our Bible study at 8 o'clock, we're going to go over some of the practical ways to establish a daily prayer life. How many would love to have a daily prayer life with God? You want to have this in your life. All of us know that it would be, we'd be so much better off if we had this. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. The Bible says, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. There have been questions what the meaning of the scripture is, where, whether it's talking about the evil spirit doesn't go out without prayer and fasting, or the kind of faith that can deal with this evil spirit only goes out through prayer and fasting. I'm not sure exactly what the meaning is, but I do believe that the kind of faith that it takes to move mountains only comes to those who learn the practice and the habit of prayer and fasting. Amen? The Bible makes it clear that faith moves mountains. Amen? 
Ye can say to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, be cast into the sea. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now, we know that uh, in the Word of God, when God tells us we have the power to move mountains and throw them into the sea, He's using a metaphor here because God's not into excavation and us moving the mountains around and changing the overall appearance of the earth. Uh, but He's talking metaphorically about situations and obstacles that stand in our way, things that block us uh, from being able to go the direction that we want to go and accomplish it, the things that we want to accomplish. Uh, and I believe that there is power, untapped power in prayer and in fasting that we as a church uh, have not yet reached the potential that we have, uh, amen, that we're going to reach as we tap into and understand the power of prayer and fasting. I was reading an article in the magazine this week, uh, and uh, it was a, a, an article uh, written about a pastor who had a, a wife whose name was Elizabeth Dabney, or she was called Mother Dabney. And uh, she was from an old uh, Church of God in Christ church back in the 1920s when she got to the church where her husband was asked to, to serve as an associate pastor. They said to her that her job was to pray for the church. So she took it seriously. She took this seriously and, and set up an appointment with God, said, God, I'm going to meet with you and I want you to give me direction. And the Lord, uh, she asked of the Lord, said, Lord, if you will bless my husband in the place you sent him to establish your name, if you'll break the bonds and destroy the walls that bind us, if you'll give him a church and a congregation which is a credit to your people and all of Christianity, I will walk with you for three years in prayer both day and night. I will meet you every morning at 9 o'clock sharp. You will never have to wait for me. I will be there to greet you. And you will uh, never have to wait for me. I will stay there all day. I will devote all of my time to you. And furthermore, Lord, she said, if you'll listen to the voice of my supplication and break through in that wicked neighborhood and bless my husband, I will fast 72 hours each week. This was my job, she said. I will fast 72 hours each week for two years. While I'm going through the fast, I will not go home to sleep in my bed at night. Uh, I will stay in church. And if I get slip, sleepy, I'll rest on the carpet. Uh, and she says, as soon as I made my covenant, the heavens opened and the glory of the Lord fell from heaven all around me. I knew that he had prepared me to enter into my prayer ministry. So at nine o'clock each day, the doorknob of the church would turn and I would greet the Lord with a hearty good morning, Jesus. Uh, I would kneel and pray until I wore all the skin off off of my knees on those hard floors. I suffered. The flesh on my bones was numb, and I fasted, not eating or drinking natural food, but I had a direct supply from heaven. Soon the little mission that we were having church in was too small to accommodate the people. My husband requested that I pray for another place nearby. I prayed, and a man who had been in business for 25 years decided to rent us the building and the church grew and the church was established but this was the kind of passion for prayer and understanding of the power of prayer that characterized the early movers and shakers of the Pentecostal movement I want to tell you today that no man is greater than his prayer life no man is greater than his prayer life if you want to be victorious in Christian living there's two things that you have to have one of them is vision and the other thing is passion. Everybody say vision. Vision is being able to clearly understand God's direction for your life. The other is passion. Everybody say passion. Passion is fire and drive. Vision 
and passion are born in prayer. They don't come just into your head through reading a book or through thinking. But vision and passion are born in prayer. But not only that, they are maintained by prayer. God has given us the authority and the power as children of God to bind up and to loose things through prayer. It says, whatsoever you shall bind in earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose in earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's given us this authority to do great things through the power of prayer. Amen. I'm telling you that prayer is important in a Christian's life. If we're trying to be an overcomer and build a church without prayer, we might build a crowd, but we're not building a church. You can build a crowd. You can build a building. You can build a crowd without prayer, but you can't build a church without prayer. And church, I'm telling you that we as a uh, God's people who have a purpose and a plan and God's called us and anointed us to do great things in the San Gabriel Valley area where there are literally millions of people that need God's spirit and power to transform them. It's not going to happen because of somebody's great personality or because we build a big enough building or because we have adequate programs and Sunday school and so forth. All of these are important, uh, but our power comes through our prayer. Amen. Prayer is to the believer what capital is to the businessman. If you're a businessman and you don't have any money, you're not going very far. You can have a lot of brains, but if you don't have any money, you're not going very far. You can have a lot of skill and talent, but if you don't have any money, you're not going very far as a businessman. And as a Christian, doesn't matter how much talent and ability and brain power you've got, if you want to be successful in the kingdom of God, you need to get you some prayer. Amen. You need to get a hold of some prayer because it's like money in the bank. It's a source of power. It's a source of strength. How many feel more strong in God after a week of prayer than you did before the week of prayer? How many feel closer to the Lord after taking time to fast than you did before? How many feel more confidence in God, more boldness to stand up and do what God has called you to do because of this time of prayer? You know why? It's because you put money in the bank. you got something behind you now. you got something to propel you now. you got something that gives you authority now. Now, because prayer is to the believer what money is to the businessman. He who kneels before God will stand in any situation, no matter what comes, if you learn how to get on your knees. Uh, there's an old song I used to sing. It says, I can't even walk without holding the Lord's hands. And one, word, one uh, 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 phrase in that song that I love, it says, down on my knees is where I learned to stand. Down on my knees is where I learned to stand for righteousness. Down on my knees is where you learn to stand in your faith. Down on your knees is where you learn how to stand and be victorious. Amen? Hallelujah. And at Life Church, as we move forward, we're going to move forward on our knees. Hallelujah. We could stand proud and arrogant, uh, but we're going to move forward on our knees. And I'm telling you, my vision for Life Church is a church that can go as high in worship as we went today and even higher, but a church that can also go as deep with a move of God, with people being delivered and transformed by the power of the Spirit. This doesn't happen with great music. Uh, thank God for great music that creates an atmosphere of revival, but thank God for prayer that puts something behind it so it's not shallow and it's not just hype. Uh, but there's God's power there. And when somebody comes in and begins to shake under the power of the Holy Spirit and God begins to touch them and deliver them, this doesn't happen because we got good music. This happens because there's money in the bank. This happens because there's people that have been chalking up prayer time, crying out to God, drawing close to the Lord. Hallelujah. The revival that God has for Life Church. 
I'm talking about the revival that changes community. I'm not talking about a revival that just gets us excited, but I'm talking about a revival that turns community upside down to where the bars don't have people showing up very much anymore. Come on now. To where where they go do dancing on the weekend. There's not very many people there anymore because all the young people want to come dance in church. Come on, I'm talking about a revival that turns schools upside down. This kind of revival... God wants to happen through life, church. I'm telling you, if you've lost your vision, take some time to pray. If you've lost your vision of what God wants to do through you and through life, church, I'm challenging you, take some time. Push back the plate. Cry out unto the Lord and let God put the vision back in your spirit. Why has revival not come like we've talked about? Revival does not come because we lack urgency in prayer. And we only offer to God something that costs us nothing. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, if we want the church to go forward, we've got to put something into it. Amen? I don't know of any business that prospers just because somebody's smart. A business prospers because somebody's willing to work night and day and invest themselves in making it happen. The same is true in the church. But we don't just work by being here and doing the work of the ministry. What we do is pray because when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. The awesome thing is... What prayer does to you and me. We know that prayer can change the atmosphere and the situation. Prayer can uh, bring about answers. But the awesome thing about prayer is what it does to me when I pray. When I pray, when I spend time in prayer, my soul is drawn out. Rather than the facade of my flesh and all the carnal things that I'm pursuing and all the things that are important to me in my life that seem to drown out the cry of my soul. When I pray, it draws my soul out uh, so that the desires of my heart, uh, the true eternal desires that matter, become evident and visible. We are transformed through prayer. You are changed when you pray. When you take time to pray, you are transformed and you are changed. And as I said, we're going to talk about on Wednesday night how to develop a discipline of a daily prayer life. But right now I'm just talking about the concept and the power of prayer. We are changed. We become more sensitive to God. We become more aware of God's direction for our life. We have more power in our spirit to do things for the kingdom of God. We have greater faith than we had before because of the power of prayer. I hope you're not tired of hearing about this because you're going to hear about it all month because this church is moving forward with prayer. This youth group's moving forward with prayer. Our children's ministry is going to move forward with prayer. Our outreaches are going to move forward with prayer. And we're going to see some miracles, some powerful things happen through the power of God in this kingdom. A few weeks ago in Spanish service, Brother Chris Lede was preaching powerfully under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And as he was preaching in that service, he told the story of those who are thieves or or safe crackers that are able to uh, go into a safe and listen for the tumblers as they attempt to find the combination. They don't have the combination they're stealing or they're opening a safe that lacks a combination that these safe crackers uh, have the habit of sanding off their fingertips sanding all the extra skin, sanding all the dry skin off so that there is 
a heightened sensitivity to be able to feel the tumblers as they fall in there. And uh, Brother Chris said that there are some habits that we have as Christians uh, that we have access to that give us the power to shave off uh, the excess skin and flesh uh, that gets in the way of us being sensitive to the voice of God and the direction of the Lord. Let me tell you what prayer and fasting will do. Sometimes we're just so unaware. It's like... uh, We have no antenna up. God couldn't speak to us if he wanted to because we're oblivious because we have such a mound of flesh over our soul. And I'm not talking about physical girth. I'm talking about the things of this world and life in general and all of the things that matter to us that consume us until the things of God become lower on the list of priorities and they become submerged beneath God's call and purpose and destiny for our life. But the thing that you do through prayer and fasting is to shave away and to sand away all the carnality and all the things of the flesh that keep you from being sensitive to hearing God's voice. See, God's going to use some of you this year to win a soul that you've never won a soul before to the Lord. But the only way he can do this is you've got to learn to be sensitive to the voice of God. It's not your personality that wins souls. It's not your strength and ability that wins souls. But God says, I'm ready to use whatever vessel will make himself or herself available to me and become sensitive to my voice. And this week, uh, during this time of prayer and fasting, I watched it happen to me. I watched my whole outlook on life changed. I watched my tenderness and sensitivity to the Spirit and the call of the Lord become so real. I couldn't wait to worship. I can't wait to worship. In fact, let's just worship right now because I love the presence of the Lord. And I have a sensitivity to God. And this comes through prayer and fasting. I don't know any other way to get it. I don't know of a book you can read that will make it happen to you. I could teach you about prayer and it won't do it. The only thing that does it is actually getting down on your knees and crying out to God, making a commitment to deny yourself, to draw close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, call on His name right now. Hallelujah. Through prayer and fasting, we can hear from God. And be used by God. I hope you get the point. I'm not spending a lot of time here. But you're just kind of numb and obtuse and unable to operate in the Spirit without prayer and fasting. Whether you're a preacher or a saint of God, without it, God cannot use you. God can't flow through you. You're not sensitive to Him. And true revival and the new birth of souls, new birth in the kingdom of God still demands travail. Amen? Still demands a church that's able and willing to cry out to the Lord. If the church and the pastor are too busy to pray, then we are busier than God would have us to be. If we're too busy to pray, if you're too busy to pray, then you're too busy. You're not doing the most important thing that you need to be doing. You can be insufficient in many areas as a Christian and still be moderately successful. But if you are insufficient in prayer, you cannot be a successful Christian. Amen? Now, when you pray, we've got to learn as a church to begin to pray with faith. Sometimes you just have to start praying, but then you, when you pray, you learn to pray with faith. That means believing that God is going to hear your prayer and believing that God can answer and will answer your prayer. James 5 and 16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What it is saying here is that it makes available to you a lot of things when you learn to pray effectually and fervently. What does fervent mean? Fervent means with passion and urgency. 
That means not just kind of coming lollygagging through it, but it means learning to pray with fervency and passion and urgency. Amen? Just do it. Amen? Just do it. You may feel it like a hypocrite at first when you're praying hard, but you begin to feel the Spirit kick in and pray with you. Pray with urgency and fervency. Lift up your voice. Cry out to God. Let tears flow. But it also says effectual. What does effectual mean? How does it become effective? How does my passionate prayer become effective? When it is mixed with faith. Matthew 21 and 22 says, All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Amen? So as you pray, as you pray, put faith behind your prayers. As you pray for Life Church, begin to believe that God's going to answer your prayer for Life Church. As you pray for your family needs and salvation for your family, put faith behind your prayers. Amen? Hallelujah. I got a little bit of a problem in, in the area of my faith. Is I got a lot of faith in my mind. When I come to, I wouldn't come to prayer if I didn't believe that God was powerful and that God could do great things. But I, I, I'm challenging us to move our faith from our mind to our heart. Amen? Because if our faith is weak, then our prayer is weak. If our faith in God is weak, then our prayer will be weak. The thing I want to encourage you today is to get, all of you have it in your mind that God is omnipotent, right? What does omnipotent mean, Pastor? Omnipotent means all-powerful. As human beings, we're impotent. We don't have a lot of power. But God is omnipotent. He has all power. Everybody say all power. Now, if I was to go down the list and ask you if God is all-powerful, probably everybody would say yes. I doubt if there would be anybody in the house today that said, no, I don't believe God's all-powerful. I don't believe He has all power. But the Bible lets us know that He is all-powerful, and we believe that in our mind. In our minds, we believe that Noah built the ark, and God destroyed the earth, and God gave a word to Noah. In our minds, we believe that uh, Moses, uh, with the power of God, parted the Red Sea and then stopped the flow of the Jordan River and let the other flow out. And we believe that water came out of the rock in our minds. But is it really registered into our hearts so that we believe with our heart that God is an omnipotent God? Amen? We need to get God's omnipotence into our heart and realize that when we cry out in prayer, we're not just lifting our voice, but we're crying out to a God that has all power in heaven and in earth. Nothing is impossible to Him. Nothing is too hard for Him. He can do all things. Hallelujah. He was an omnipotent God. And it's not just something I accept intellectually. It's something that I believe with my heart, or I want to believe with my heart, that when rivers or seas needed parting, God did it. Amen? When people were hungry, God dropped food from heaven or multiplied the bread and the fish. When when God's people needed more time for victory, He extended the daylight hours. When they were thirsty, He made water come right out of a dusty rock. That's an omnipotent God. We need to get convinced of what really happened in history. That God has the power to change impossible, impossible situations. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. It says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Herod killed one of the apostles, one of the patriarchs of the church. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four 
quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer, listen to this, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. They were having prayer meetings. Everybody say prayer meetings. They were having prayer meetings. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. The next day Herod's going to bring him out and probably take off his head. But he's asleep between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side, raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. The angel said unto him, Gird thyself and put on your sandals. And so he did. He said unto him, Put your garment around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him and did not know uh, that it was true that what was done was to him was by an angel. But he thought he was seeing a vision. When he had uh, they passed the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed through one street. And the angel departed from him. Then Peter was come to himself and said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod from all the expectations of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying in the middle of the night. And as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. When she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. She was so excited she forgot to open the door, but ran in and told how Peter stood at the gate. They said unto her, You're crazy. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, Well, it's an angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. The power of a praying church. The power of a church that gets down to business. See, they were there at that prayer meeting praying because they believed in their mind that God was going to do it. But it hadn't really got down to their heart yet because they were astonished when the Lord answered the prayer. I'm telling you, this was an impossible situation. There were so many mountains that stood between Peter and his deliverance. How's God going to do it? How's God going to make it happen? I don't know. I don't know how God could get him out between four quaternions of soldiers. I don't know how he can break the chains off his hands. I don't know how he can get him through the iron gate, out from under the nose of all these soldiers, right before Herod's going to bring him out to the people. I don't know how he did it. Amen? But God sent an angel, and the power of prayer has the power to move mountains. And these mountains were all the obstacles to Peter's deliverance. But through the power of prayer, through the power of prayer, hallelujah, they were able to see deliverance. And God did it even though their faith was a little immature and wasn't complete. Amen? A prayer warrior is someone who is convinced that God is omnipotent. Hallelujah. You get somebody that really believes that God's all-powerful, then I got somebody that I'm going to have to tell to quit praying. Come on now. I'm about to say, get up. Come on. Go about your business. No, I serve an all-powerful God. 
He can do all things. There's no better investment in my time than on my knees. There's no better investment. When you get an understanding in your heart, we got it in our minds, but we need to get it in our hearts. Because when we get it on our hearts, we'll become prayer warriors. We'll become those who go to battle against the enemy for lost souls. That go to battle against the enemy for difficult situations and circumstances. That say, we serve a God who is able. And I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the circumstances dictate. I'm going to be on my knees crying out to God. I'll be here because I know that God is omnipotent. Hallelujah. And when we get that attitude and mindset and faith in our spirit, miracles are going to begin to happen at Life Church. Financial miracles, miracles of healing, miracles of deliverance in the house of the Lord. Faith and prayer, hallelujah, can move mountains. The greatest motivation for prayer is seeing a prayer get answered. Because when you say, see a prayer get answered, it's like, wow, I'm going to pray some more. Just like if I worked out all the time and never saw any progress in my physique, I probably wouldn't work out much longer. Amen? Unanswered prayer is frustrating. Unanswered prayer drains your faith. Unanswered prayer tends to make you uh, uh, not want to pray more. And so the greatest thing that you can do is learn how to pray prayers that will be answered. Let me give you a few reasons why prayers may not be answered. Sometimes God just says no. He's omnipotent. He knows all things. He knows the beginning from the end. And sometimes he says no. How do you know, Pastor Brown? Well, there were people that made requests of God while he was on the earth. They said to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, said, uh, well, uh, they, they said, here we are on top of the mountain. Such a beautiful experience. Moses, Elijah, Jesus. What a glorious experience. Let's just build tabernacles up here, dwelling places. Let's just stay up here forever. And the Lord looks over at Peter and shakes his head and says, Isn't that cute? No, Peter, we've got to go back down the mountain. The Lord is so wonderful. No, we've got to go back and deal with situations. Then James and John said, made this request to the Lord. Let me sit on your right hand. I'll sit on your left hand, and we'll, we'll, just, we'll just jive, and we'll be the uh, um, coordinators of the kingdom with you. And the Lord said, no, 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 no. You don't understand, amen. You don't understand uh, what, uh, uh, what the circumstance is here. See, we're like kids, and God's like the Father. He's the heavenly Father, right? Sometimes we don't understand some things. How many of you have your kids ask you to do things, and you're like, no. And they're like, you're the meanest parent in all the world. Like, no, I'm the kindest parent in all the world. I don't want your teeth to rot out of your head. I don't want you to get run over by a car. I don't want to get you, you to get defiled at the neighbor's house. I care about you. I love you. So just because we cry out to God doesn't mean that an answer is coming. Sometimes God says no. One thing to look at is your motives. Are you praying for your glory or for God's glory? Are you praying for something to happen that you would receive glory or that God would receive his glory? Sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says slow down a little bit. The timing is wrong. All of us have been on a trip with our parents before when we were children, and it may be a 500-mile trip, and we're 20 miles out of town, and we ask the question, are we there yet? And uh, they, the, our parents turned around and said, no, just settle down, relax. See, because in our mind, we couldn't conceive distance. We hadn't looked at the map. We didn't know how long it would take. And so we're impatient 
with our parents. Uh, when in reality, they know best. Uh, yeah, we can stop the car right now. We're in the middle of the desert. You want to go out and run around in the sand? Is that what you want to do? No, we've got to get there first. Uh, sometimes we're like impatient children with God, and God has a purpose. There's a journey that he's taken us on. There's some place that he's taking us, uh, and we're asking him to do something right now. And he says, no, the timing is not right. Amen? How many of you ever wanted to ask your parents if you could uh, open the Christmas gifts? 14 days before Christmas. Every every night, my, my, my mother would put the Christmas presents. Beginning of December, they'd begin to compile around our Christmas tree where I was going up. And every day we would ask our mom, can we just open some tonight? We don't need to open all of it. And they're like, no, wait. No, please wait. Or how about when you want your parents to teach you how to drive? They're only 13. They're like, wait, it's not time Yet, uh, there's an impatient child in all of us, uh, but we're going to have to learn how to trust the Father. As we cry out to God, understand that He has our best interest at heart, uh, and if our heart is right with God, He will answer our prayers. Amen? Hallelujah. I want to give you a, a, quick, uh, um, a few quick common problems that cause unanswered prayers. The first one is real simple. You know why God doesn't answer your prayer? Because you don't pray. James 4, 2 says, you have not because you ask not. If you don't cry out to God, if you don't pray, if you don't learn how to bring things before the Lord in a regular, earnest, and persistent manner, then you have not because you ask not. Amen? If you want prayer to be answered, then you've got to pray. So the greatest common problem of unanswered prayer is prayerlessness. We think if we bring a prayer request on Sunday and ask the church to pray for it, then it just should be answered. But we don't know how to get down on our knees every day and bring it before the Lord. Amen. I remember something that happened in my life that was a real encouragement to me when I was a teenager. My, uh, I was about 13, 14 years of age when my best friend at the time contracted cancer. And uh, it was in his lymph nodes. Uh, and uh, um, I remember thinking to myself, he was a pastor's son. I said, this young man is too young to die. His purpose uh, in, on earth is not completed yet. It's not finished yet. Uh, and so I'm going to pray for him. And so I made a vow with myself and with the Lord that I would not go to sleep one single day without praying for Calvin. And every single, single, single day, it may have been only just for a minute or two, I may have just mentioned it in my nighttime prayer, but I would not go to sleep without crying out to God for his healing. And I know there were other people that were praying just as earnestly and consistently. And I remember when we were there and we heard uh, my uncle, who was a district superintendent, say, uh, that the uh, uh, cancer had spread into his rib cage and into his lungs, and it didn't look very good for him. But you know what? I kept earnestly praying and earnestly believing that God was going to heal his body. And it was about a year and a half to two years later, after he contracted cancer, that he got the clean bill of health, uh, that he was healthy. And he's alive today. He's got two children. He's pastoring a church in Ontario. And I found out for myself that God answers prayer when it's persistent, regular, and consistent. Consistent. Amen. I'm telling you, we can learn some things from some kids that get something in their crawl and cry out to God and get serious with God. Hallelujah. I remember when I wanted to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I had an experience when I was seven. Someone told me I'd received the Holy Ghost. I wasn't sure of it. I hadn't spoken in tongues again. And so I wanted to know that God's Spirit was living inside of me. And so I, I prayed. I went and prayed. I'd go to church. I'd cry out. I'd pray. And it didn't seem like anything was happening. So I got down to business with God. 
And some of you have heard this story before, but I told God, I said, God, I want the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I'm not taking no for an answer. I want to receive this gift. You promised that it was for me. And so as a, a little nine-and-a-half-year-old boy, nine-and-a-half, ten years old, I took my favorite pair of blue jeans, my favorite pair of blue jeans. Now, we come from a family. My mom and dad are as tight as flint. They're, they're very, very tight. And so we didn't have fancy Nike shoes. We, we were lucky if we had ponies. Some of you raised in my generation know what I'm talking about. Or the, the special from Sears, Winter Twos. We were lucky if we had those shoes. And uh, rather than wearing Levi's, we had to wear tough skins. You know, the, the jeans that had a little patch right here so you wouldn't put a hole in it. And I had a pair of Levi's jeans that I loved. And I said, God, I'm not wearing those jeans again until you give me the Holy Ghost. I'm putting them in my top drawer. I love to wear them, but I'm not wearing them again. Now, I'm not suggesting you do something like this. This was from a childish mind. But I was getting down to business with God. And one day my mom came in to get me up for school and laid out my clothes. And uh, uh, she laid out those jeans. I hadn't told anybody. It's just something I was dealing with God here. And uh, uh, I, I went to put the jeans up and get another pair. And she said, but I put that, that pair out. You like that pair. Why don't you wear it? I said, Mom, no. Um, I, made, I, I made a decision. And I told the Lord, I'm not going to put those jeans on again until you fill me with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so uh, she, said, she was kind of upset with me because <laughs> she had a nice pair of jeans and I wasn't wearing them. But she said, okay, I understand. I won't make you wear them. And, uh, and then I remember going to bed at night and dreaming about getting the Holy Ghost and coming back and pulling those jeans on. Even if they were way too tight and too small, I was going to come out in them. Amen. But you know what? Uh, when you get down to business with God, uh, when you get consistent and persistent with God, God answers prayer. And I'm challenging you. Some of you that are too busy to pray, pray you're not going to get your prayers answered. Just bringing them to prayer meeting and, and asking people to pray with you is not enough. You've got to make it a determination every day. Hallelujah. And I made a decision with my daughter and her situation with her skin. Every night I'm going to pray for her in her crib before she goes to bed. I'm going to say, God, tomorrow's going to be a better day than today, and then the next day's going to be better until she is completely made whole and cleansed of this condition. There is power in persistent prayer. And the number one reason why people don't get their prayers answered is because they're too busy to pray. They're doing everything else, trying to work it out themselves, trying to figure it out, trying to reason it out, working long hours, trying to think it out, but get down on your knees and say, God, I believe in the power of prayer, prayer that's persistent and consistent. second reason your prayers may not be being answered is that if you have unconfessed sin in your life, it will cut you off from the Father. Isaiah 59 and 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So you're wasting your time, basically, by praying if you have unconfessed sin in your life. Unless that prayer is a prayer of confession to the Lord and repentance to the Lord and request for Him to give you strength. Amen? A little sin can contaminate your heart. Amen? When you get something in your gas tank, even though it's small, a particle can mess up the engine, especially a smaller thing like a motorcycle or something like that. A little sin can contaminate your heart. And if you are tolerating sin in your life, don't waste your breath praying unless it's a prayer of confession for the Lord and a prayer request for God to deliver and give you strength. That one didn't go over too well, did it? But the fact is true. Our sins separate us from God. Amen? 
God won't hear us if we've got iniquity and sin in our life and we know right from wrong. Amen. First thing you need to do is cry out to God and get things right with the Lord. This is old-fashioned preaching right here in case you're wondering. This is the way they preached in the old days. This is the way revival happened. Amen. Say, so get your heart cleaned out. Get your spirit cleaned out. If you want God to answer your prayer, get things right with the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, the revival that God has for us at Life Church isn't going to happen through hype. It's going to happen because there are righteous people that are crying out to God. Did you know the Bible said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? It doesn't give you any promise if you allow sin in your life. Amen? But you have promises if you confess your sin. If you confess your sin, He is righteous and faithful. Amen? To forgive you of your sins and give you a clean start. I'm encouraging you, some of you, if you're struggling with sin in your life... It's time to put it on the altar and take this week, take time to pray. Come to prayer every night. Come to prayer every night and get things right with God. It's not going to make itself right. You've got to make it right with God. Another prayer buster, number three, is unresolved relational conflict. Unresolved relational conflict, issues that I have with other people. This is amazing because I've got a lot of Bible for this one. Matthew 5 and 23. It says, so if you are standing before the altar in the temple offering a sacrifice to God and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there beside the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Some people feel like there's no problem in having issues with other people. Well, I don't like that person. I can't get along with that person. That person offended me, and so I'm bearing a grudge against them. They have no idea how important community is in the mind of God and people getting along and having relationships that are unmarked by relational conflict. If you have issues in your life with other people, unforgiveness, hard feelings against someone else, you might be wasting your time in praying. Instead of bringing your sacrifice to the Lord, bringing your request to the Lord, the first thing you need to do is get it right with that person. Forgive that person. Now, that person may not want anything to do with it. They may want the, the, the conflict to go on, and, and you can't stop it. That you, you can't change somebody else's mind, but you can do what you can do. And when you've done what you can do, then God get, cleans your bill. Amen? God makes you uh, uh, clean before Him. Amen? Praise the Lord. God is committed. Some people don't understand that God is committed to building and maintaining a loving community in the house of the Lord and amongst Christians. You shall know they're Christians because they have love to one another. In fact, whatever you do to your brothers and sisters in the kingdom is the same as if you're doing it to Jesus Christ. That's what he said. Listen to this, 1 Peter 3 and 7. This is the word of God. It says, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat her with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. Let me say that again. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. And we can put the shoe on the other hook, on the other foot, on the other hoof. <laughs> and say, wives, if you're not treating your husbands as they should. Don't come to church and make a big display and ask and expect God to answer your prayer. God's not going to listen to you. I'm talking from the Bible some things that may cause you not to receive what you need to from God. And there's no point in trying to pray to get God to answer your prayer and see things done if you're engaged in an ongoing conflict. End it. Stop it. God has no tolerance for it. I said God has no tolerance for it in the kingdom of God. Amen? 
The number four thing that keeps prayers from being answered is selfishness. James 4, 3. Even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Sometimes prayers aren't answered because they're selfishly motivated. Rather than bringing God glory or the kingdom of God glory, it's about bringing me glory. Those are just some prayer busters I wanted to share with you because I want you to get answered prayer. Because when your prayers get answered, you're going to get powerful in prayer. You're going to, hallelujah. I believe there's some people in this house that are going to learn how to lay hands on sick people and watch them recover right before you. Hallelujah, that are going to see some miracles take place through your ministry and through your life. Hallelujah. God, clean my heart, Jesus. I want to be pure before you. Help me confess my sins and be right before you. If I have problems with somebody, let me put it behind me. Let my motives be pure and right. You know the best way to get your motives right is just spend time in prayer giving glory to God. And as you give glory to God, as you honor Him, as you praise Him, it brings about a change in your priorities and in your way of thinking. And God can begin to answer your prayers. Hallelujah. God wants to do miracles in your life. God wants to do miracles in life, church. I want to see people healed of cancer in this church. I want to see blind people come in and have their eyes opened in this church. I want to see people get out of wheelchairs and walk. Amen. In this church, God is able and God is great. And there is power through faith and through prayer. But the kind of faith that you need will not come without prayer and without fasting. I'm encouraging you. I'm challenging you. Take advantage of this time of prayer this week. Let's get in a routine. Let's get in a habit of drawing close to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus and the disciples, or the disciples were on a boat. Jesus was not with them at that point. And there was a storm that was raging. And all of a sudden they looked in the distance and saw a figure walking towards them and said, It's a ghost. It's a ghost. What's, what's this doing walking on the water? Of course, you and I know, because we've heard the story before, that it was Jesus. He was walking on the water. He was more than just a man, wasn't he? And he's walking on the water, hanging out on the waves. See, the laws of nature say you can't walk on water. It's impossible. Everybody say impossible. But here's Jesus walking on the water, doing the impossible, defying the laws of nature, walking on the water. Everybody says it's impossible. Say God can do anything. He's walking on the water. And so he comes to the boat, and finally they recognize him as Jesus. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. There's all the disciples sitting in the boat. And all of a sudden, Peter steps out of the boat. Everybody say, out of the boat. Isn't that awesome? He just stepped out of the boat and started walking on water. So if anybody ever tells you there's only one person who ever walked on water, say, "Uh uh-uh. There's two people. Jesus and Peter. They both walked on water. Because Peter said, I don't care that the laws of nature say that I can't walk on water. If Jesus is doing it, I can do it. If Jesus gives me permission and calls me to come, I can do it. See, here's the point. 
There are some things that Jesus did in his ministry, but some of us look and say, well, that was Jesus, and that was then, and this is now. That was Jesus, and this is me, but Jesus is calling and beckoning somebody in this church to step out of the boat. Remember what he said before he ascended? Greater things than these shall ye do in my name. That's why when Peter walked down the road, the same Peter that stepped out of the boat, when his shadow passed over people that were sick, they were cleansed and raised. When he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, he grabbed the lame man, he stood up, and he walked and leaped and went into the temple. That's why there was great anointing upon the New Testament church, because there was a few people that knew how to get out of the boat. Understand, there were 11 other disciples that said, I'd rather watch, I'd rather sit back, I'd rather be an observer. But there's something in my spirit that says, let me be one of those, dear God, that steps out of the boat. Let me be one of those, Lord, who says, it doesn't matter what the laws of nature says, it doesn't matter what uh, uh, all, all the forces that say it's impossible. All things are possible through Jesus Christ. That's why I believe an apostolic church uh, committed to righteousness and holiness is going to grow and flourish uh, and influence the entire San Gabriel Valley. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to step out of the boat. Uh, I'm ready to let God uh, uh, challenge my faith uh, and begin to do things that are impossible. Hallelujah. Let's stand and praise the Lord together right now. Oh, come on. Praise Him with all your heart right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel like laying hands on people right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel a healing ministry about to be unleashed in life. Church. I feel it's time for signs and wonders and miracles in the house of the Lord. Is there anybody that has faith to believe God that anything is possible? Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Come on, if you need something, I want you to come forward with faith right now. If we have some young people, some young men, maybe that want God's anointing on their life, come forward. Brother Donnie, I want you to help me. We're going to lay hands on these people right now. And we're going to believe God's Spirit is going to impart something special. Hey, 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 it's not just somebody laying hands on you, but this is a point of contact with God. Hallelujah. And I want you to believe that the Lord is going to move and operate. In your life. We're going to have a great time of prayer around Life Church this week. But right now, let's let God show up and show out in this house. In the name of the Lord. If somebody needs to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, as God gives you the words to say, I want you to begin to cry out to the Lord right now. Just lift up your hands all across this place. Let's begin to pray right now. Come on, I tried to convince you that there's power in prayer. I want you to practice it right now. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Brother Marvin, come help me. Brother Marvin, I want you to help lay hands on people as well. In Jesus.
Hallelujah. I need some spirit-filled people to help me just lay hands on folks. Amen. Brother Rick, help me. Hallelujah. We've got a lot of people here that have come and asked for prayer. you to begin to pray with one another right now. There's a sovereign work of the Spirit that's happening. There's a deep work of the Holy Ghost that's happening in this place right now. Come on, just push your way through and pray with somebody. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is falling in this house. People are experiencing the power of God for themselves.
this place I want you just to lift up your hands to the Lord. Just close your eyes and focus in on Him. There's a deep move of the Holy Spirit that's transpiring in this place. Just open yourself up to what God is doing. Come on, that's it. Just close your eyes and open up to the Spirit of the Lord. Let the Holy Ghost move in upon you. Restore the faith, Jesus, of my brothers and sisters, Lord God. Renew the passion, Lord God. 
create a clean heart, Lord God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, lift up your hands to him right now. There's a, there's a sovereign work of the Spirit. A deep, a deep work. It's a word that keeps coming to mind. There's a deep work. People reaffirming their faith in the living God. Not just a mental faith, but a faith that affects your emotions and your heart. Hallelujah. Faith that stirs you and spurs you to action. Oh, glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.